Yeah, if you, have, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. We're starting a new series on the story of Joseph for a few weeks here. And uh, kind of focusing in on where God's story and your story intersect. So we're looking at these two stories here because, um, first of all, because a story is important. Um, as far as the Bible goes, uh, 43% of the Bible is narrative, that is its story. Th- that we think of a lot of times the, the epistles, because we spend a lot of time there. We think of maybe the Psalms or poetry, but only 30 per- 33% of the Bible is poetry, and 24% is pro- what you call prose discourse, that would be the letters, that would be the law, all those kinds of things. So the, the majority of the Bible is a story, and that story is there because he's, it's revealing who God is. It, it, it's not just that you... Just think about it yourself. Like, a lot of people can say, this is who I am, and they can, in a sense, discourse about who they are. But a, a lot of who they are is actually revealed by what they do, by not just what they say, but what they do, and the actions they take in, in response to different things. And so stories reveal who you are, and not just for God, but also for ourselves as well. Uh, yesterday, I was uh, had two consecutive soccer games for Greta's team. So Greta's 10, so this is 10, 11, 10 and 11 year olds. And uh, normally you don't play uh, back-to-back games because it wears the kids out, but this team was coming from Mason City. And so it was, uh, uh, so she was, she, the coach was pretty busy. And so she's like, can we play both games when we're down there? I'm like, sure, that's fine. Uh, and so uh, first game was really competitive. Uh, they, they were a good team. We were a good team. Uh, we ended up winning one to nothing. Greta won, scored the willing, winning goal, you know, as a father. I'm like, hey, yes, good. Uh, and, uh, and then, so, but then we had the, the double header, right? We had the second game. And uh, there's just, I like to win, just being honest. I was like, who cares about the fact that we won the first game? Now let's win the second game. Let's prove our dominance, you know what I mean? And uh, it was... It was um, some of the same girls, some different girls on the same team. So you had uh, fresh girls for their team, not so fresh for our, girls for our team. I, and I noticed it in the warm-up. Like we're, like we're doing some of the same warm-ups, and they're just walking. And I'm like, okay, how's this going to go? Um, and uh, again, we were, we were competitive. We were with them. Um, we had several chances to score. You know, we're like, like it's just kind of like the Iowa State football kicker yesterday, right? You're like, okay, you got a chance, and you don't score. Uh, and, uh, and, so, and they didn't score. And then, uh, unfortunately, in the second half, the other team scored. You know? So I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be a bummer. You know? We're definitely playing better than the other team, but we're, we could lose here. And uh, so fortunately, with like, um, like maybe like six, seven minutes left in the game, one of the girls drove, drove the corner and then passed back across the goal. And one of our girls was there and just, you know, solid kick slammed it in the back of the goal. I was, and I went like, yes! I went like that, you know. <laughs> like, like this is just a game of 10 and 11 year old girls, but I care, you know. And then, and then we had a chance to win the game. Right at the end of the game, uh, one of the girls broke away. She's driving for the goal. She's, she's, it's one-on-one with the goalie, and the other, the, the other team's girl is coming behind her. And, she, and she, at the last minute, the girl knows that she's going to score, so she just trips her, literally just trips her in the box. 
Um, it was a penalty kick, which of the, the goalie saved, but I'm thinking, that's a red card in any other game, you know, like high school, that's a red card, but you're not going to red card an 11-year-old girl, right? I mean, just the tears that would come from that alone. So we didn't win, we tied the second game, but uh, it just shows you a little bit about who I am, if it says, right? And, and as, we, as we look into this story in Genesis 37, what you're going to see is that there's, we're, we're, we're getting to know who God is, but we're also seeing, like, in a sense, two competing narratives. There's, a, there's this narrative that's about revealing who God is, but then there's this competing narrative about who's, who the brothers are, what this family is about that, that God has selected to, be, to, to represent him and to be his family, to be his nation, to be his people. And we're going to see that this family is not out for each other, they're out for themselves. And, and you see that especially at the end of the story where, where Joseph says to his brothers, he's like, you meant it to me for evil, but God meant it for good. <laughs> and, and you're going to see this playing out throughout the story of these two competing narratives about how do we view our lives. Because... Because even as stories reveal who we are, sometimes the story we select tells what we think about what's going on, right? And, and Joseph had the opportunity to either select, my life is terrible, my brothers hate me, I'm, I'm in slavery, I, there's, there's nothing good that can happen, or he can select, God means it for good, I can trust God, I can, I can, I can listen and follow God. And we all have that same choice in our lives. We can either look at the, the negative things that are happening, or you can look at the fact of what God says and who he is and how he's acted throughout history and choose to look at your life from either perspective. In our own family, some of our kids have to make that choice as well. Uh, having seven children, sometimes you forget your children. Um, and Zeke in particular has been forgotten a fair amount of times. In fact, uh, there was one week where I think we forgot him uh, two or three times in one week. Just one, just one week. It was the week that Kais was graduating. We had a lot going on. It was our excuse anyway, right? We got a lot going on. And then Zeke was forgotten multiple times. Like, he'd have to, you know, finally, like, uh, an hour after we, like, borrow somebody's phone and like, hey, uh, are you guys going to come pick me up? Oh, where are you again? You know, that kind of thing. And, and so then he's got this competing narrative. Do my, do my parents love me? Because <laughs> they seem to forget about me all the time. <laughs> or can I look back and say, yes, they do love me? And, and we, we do this, right? We, we look at our lives and we try to put, put things together in such a way to understand them. And especially as we look into Scripture, as we, as we consider uh, Genesis 37, you're going to see a lot of hatred, you're going to see a lot of jealousy, because this sto story revolves around the brothers. And you're going to see that, that term, the brothers, used multiple times in the story. And you're going to see these two really competing narratives for how, how to view this story. And God ultimately is revealing himself through these competing narratives to help you to see who he really is. So let's look at Genesis 37. You can see it up here on the screen. Thanks, Jed, for putting it up here. Or you can look in your Bibles. Genesis 37, verse 2 says, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. 
Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated more than all his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peace of, peacefully to him. When you, when you get into a story like this, especially, obviously, we're jumping into the middle of Genesis, there's always a previous story. You're, you, our stories never start with ourselves, right? They're, they start with the choices our parents made, the choices our grandparents made, and, and we are impacted by that. And here in Genesis 37, we have, we're jumping into the middle of the story, in a sense, into a really a deeply fractured family. Maybe you know the story already, right? Jacob... Uh, fled from his brother Esau because they were in competition with each other, and and uh, and they uh, he went to his uncle Laban, and he wanted to marry Laban's daughter Rachel, and uh, so Laban tricked Jacob into marrying Leah instead of Jacob instead of Rachel, and then he worked seven more years for Rachel, and in the process. The, both Rachel and Leah were like, here's our, our uh, concubines. You have these, he, these are maids, these are concubines. And, and so Jacob ends up with uh, sons from four different women. And there's a lot of, in a sense, competition for the father's love. That's pretty clear even in this passage. And you get the fact that there's this kind of question throughout Genesis, who's going to get the blessing from God? Is it going to be Jacob or Esau? And it, it becomes Jacob, but at the same time then, the, the sons of Jacob are then wondering, in a sense, because they've heard these stories, they know these stories, like, who's, who's it going to come down to? There's 12 sons, who's going to receive the blessing this time? And they're, they're competing not just for their father's blessing, but ultimately for God's blessing as well. And so you, you enter into this this fractured family, if you will. And you get just a glimpse of that from this story where Joseph, in a sense, tattles on his brothers, even though he's 17, and he probably knew better, in a sense. And, and then his, his, his father gives him, make kind of, in a sense, makes him his heir, right? That's kind of the his old age idea is he's saying this is going to be my heir and not only is my heir he's my favorite and I'm going to make this robe of many colors for him and put it on him to show that he's the heir and it just fractures the family but these stories aren't just based off of this story it goes all really all the way back to the beginning story to Genesis chapter 3 in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 right God God makes the earth and he places Adam and Eve in it and he says that they were naked and unashamed. That is, they, were, they, they could be together and they, had no, they weren't fractured at all. They were open with each other. They were welcoming to each other. And then Genesis 3 comes where Adam and Eve eat and disobey God's law. And then what happens as a result, they, they shift from being unashamed to being ashamed. And what happens? They hide right, from God. They seek to cover their nakedness with clothes they make themselves. And then they blame shift, right? They say, it's, it's someone else's fault. It's someone else's fault, not my fault. And all of those are a result of, the, of this shame that is in them that is kind of like, okay, if I can tell that God doesn't love me anymore or I feel that God doesn't love me anymore and this is how I react. And we see these same things 
We see the first, we don't see hiding yet in the story in this first paragraph. We're going to see it where they hide things from their father. But we see the first one here, and Jed's already mentioned it, that the, that the robe that, that, was, that was there, this robe that showed off Joseph's status, if you will, and all the brothers are jealous of it, right? They, they want that robe. They want that position. And they also blame shift. They don't blame the father. They don't blame Jacob for choosing favorites and dividing the family in that way. They blame Joseph. They're like, he's the problem. <laughs> if he had tattletale, if he just wasn't who he was, then this would be okay. We would be one happy family, right? The lie that that comes. Because th- these types of things where we, we, seek to, we seek status for ourselves, we, we blame other people, we hide from each other, these happen in all families, really. If you look at your family in various ways and the story of it, you can see hiding things from each other. You can see seeking honor at the expense of one another. You can see blaming others for problems rather than seeing things clearly for what's really going on. And this is, this, this is the story. <laughs> this is how the brothers see it. They see it as a, a story of competition, like who's going to win? How, how are we going to get there? How are we going to make, make myself great and my family great and not and who cares about my brothers? And this conflict, this competition, if you will, leads to more than just anger and it leads to murder or the attempted murder and ultimately slavery as well. But in that story, there's something else going on. We're going to see God quietly starting to work behind the scenes because what he's going to do is he's going to seek to unite this family, to, to take this family from fractured and divided and make it into one nation. And you would say at the beginning of the story that that's impossible, that there's no way this fractured family could ever unite together and become a family uh, and, and become a nation ultimately that it works together. And yet that is what God is in the process of doing. It's all, Joseph's story is also the story ultimately of the transformation of two men. Two men are highlighted throughout Joseph's story. Joseph himself, but also Judah. Two men that God is going to use to transform the family, unite them together, and ultimately forge a nation. So let's see how this fractured family plays out and go into verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. <laughs> Can you imagine if you heard that from your brother? <laughs> his, his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him more, even more, for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and, and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow yourselves, bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept it in mind. So... 
who's going to unite this family? Joseph, in a sense, by, by sharing the dream, what he's actually, he's kind of one-upping them in a sense. He's saying, okay, uh, not only do I think I'm supposed to unite this family, God thinks I'm supposed to unite this family. If you just all bow down to me, <laughs> then the family could be united. We could, be, we could work together. We could have God's blessing. Now, he's right. These dreams are from God. We, we, we see the fulfillment of them later on in, in, in the story, okay? But at the same time, at, at best, he's insensitive, right, to his brother, the reality of his brothers. Like, okay, your brothers are always already jealous and hate you. Like, maybe just share it to your father, or maybe just, you know, like, but he's like, hey, guys, you're all supposed to bow down to me. This is just a dream I had, you know, just telling you the facts. And it, it, brothers do this, right? They're just like, they know how to get underneath, underneath each other's skin. And, and this is partially what's happening here. And he's just overall, he's not using his position to bless his brothers. He's not interested in saying, okay, if I'm in charge, I'm really supposed to bless you guys, so how can I do that better? He, he doesn't ask that question at all. He's just interested, interested in his position, and demanding their submission, because obviously they're disrespectful to him. Obviously they hate him. Obviously, on a day-to-day basis, they're probably snide with him, sarcastic with him. There's, not a hard, there's hardly a kind word that comes out of their mouths toward him. They hate him, and they're jealous of him. That's the reality he's in. And by sharing these dreams, in a sense, he's saying, well, God's on my side, so hey, you know. And overall, the brothers aren't willing to listen to Joseph's dream with any compassion or curiosity. Because it's all a big competition, right? Like, why would I listen to your story, your dream, if, if I, I'm just trying to one-up you and, and to be better than you? You see, pride and jealousy are just stealing the joy out of this family, stealing the love out of this family, stealing ultimately their trust in God as well. They should be thinking, okay, this is a dream. Maybe this is from God. Let's be curious about it. What does it mean? Maybe, maybe Joseph could unite us. Maybe he, you know, you could think about it from the opposite standpoint. Why didn't they respond with a certain amount of trust, a certain amount of, oh, curiosity? Like, okay, maybe God can use Joseph to do something good here, really. But instead, they don't want to hear it. They, they solidify their jealousy, they solidify their hatred, and that's going to lead to something worse. Notice verse 12. Now, his pa- brothers went to pasture their f- father's flock near Shechem, which is interesting because, if you know the story again, their, their sister, right, was raped near Shechem, and, and the, yet they're going back that direction and Israel said to Joseph, are, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. He's just saying I'm available. So he said to him, go now, see if it's well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he went, sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. Yeah, this phrase indicates that he's just, he's like, I can't find him, right? Just, he's just wandering around wondering where he's at, and he's by himself in a sense. And, and, he, and the man says, what are you seeking? He says, I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now, what's interesting here is this, this, 
this story in itself is not that necessary. They, this could have been skipped, right, in a sense, in, in the story. Like, just skip to the part where they see him coming from a long way off and, and trying to and say, let's kill him. But what it does set up is it helps you realize that Joseph's alone, and really no one knows where he's at. The expected time to go to Shechem and come back is, is going to be it's going to be longer to go to Dothan and come back. His father's not going to know where he's at, and so he's alone. No one knows where he's at, and it gives the potential for the brothers to hide something from their father. It makes it believable. Like, oh yeah, no one knows where Joseph's at. No one knows we're here in Dothan except us, and now we can do something. And because they have now the potential to hide something from their, brother, from their father, they act on it. Notice verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. So again, they tie it to his dreams, that hatred that increased. Come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard this, he rescued him out of their hands. He said, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. Can you imagine? Just like, okay, I'm going to throw my brother into a pit, hoping he dies, and then let's we'll go eat. You know, okay. The, the callousness that, that comes from hatred, right? They don't care. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let, it, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianites tra traders passed by and lifted and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned He tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, "The boy is gone. Where shall I go?" And he the emphasis here is on I, I, where shall I go? He's got no place to go now, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph was without doubt torn to pieces. Then jo Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to the Sheol, to, that is to the grave, to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Well, the, the brothers get what they want, don't they? Joseph out of their life. They didn't have to kill him, ultimately. But they also don't get what they want. They don't get their father's love. They were wanting their father's love, right? To, like, to be transferred from Joseph to themselves. But instead of Jacob transferring that love to them, the living, 
He instead keeps it focused on the dead, on Joseph. And you get it, right? Like, it's impossible to compete with a ghost, right? Like, all you're going to see, all, all Joseph, Jacob's going to see now is all the good things Joseph did, all the, all the things that Joseph was, was good at, and, 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 and he's going to mourn Joseph. And the brothers who thought they were getting rid of this person who, who would, you know, be the thorn in their side, he just, he remains the thorn in their side. Have you ever done something like that, done something to get rid of a problem in your life and it didn't solve the problem? You see also two things happening here in the midst of this. Reuben, you know, Reuben was the oldest son. He, he should have been the heir. And I think by him trying to maneuver the situation, he was trying to get back into his father's graces, say, look, look I, can, I can unite this family. I can protect the people that are hated. I, I can do this, Father, and, and yet it doesn't turn out that way. And, and that's where he's emphasizing, what, what am I going to do now? I've got no hope of, of being the one to seem to protect my brothers. But also notice Judah. I mean, if, if Judah is supposed to ultimately be the one whom, you know, the Jesus' line comes from, and this king, the kingly line, um, he's not looking very kingly right now, is he? He's like, he, he's more like, hey guys, I got a better idea than killing him. Let's sell him. You know? It's a whole lot better if we get money for his, for his death than if we just, just let him die, right? It, you see, it's, it's portrayed in some ways as if, oh, it's, you know, he's being merciful to him, but he's just couching it that way. He's like, you, you get the point, right? Like, uh, he's, he's more like saying, I don't just want to have my brother die. I want to I profit from it. I've got a better idea here. And, and the, in a sense, the heinous callousness and, and hatred that has to be wrapped up in Judah's heart. And ultimately, in a sense, this is where all slavery comes from, right? We look at our brother and we say, I'm willing to profit from someone else's harm. I'm willing to, 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 to see not just them ruined, but to me to profit from how that goes down. And you, get, you read to this part and you'd be, you know, like most of us would be like, I think this family should pretty much dissolve anyway, right? You know, the father's playing favorites, the brothers hate each other, they're willing to kill and sell each other into slavery. Um, God, just wipe them out, start over, you know? But I want you to see God's providence in the midst of this. He's, he's in the story. He's there, but he's just starting to work in, in subtle ways behind the scenes, things that you wouldn't notice. First of all, he does. He you think, well, this is a bad thing, but it's not. He provides Joseph's dream. You say, well, that causes all more, more sorts of problems, but it's not because of the dreams. It's because of the reaction to the dreams, Right? The dreams are actually saying, you know what, There's, God has a plan to unite this. God has a plan to deliver us from all this division and anger and hatred. And, the, and, and there's a, there's a hope-filled future that's in front of us if we'll listen, if we'll be curious about what God can do. But instead, they're not. But God is, is in the midst of this. He's not walking away from this family and being like, forget it. 
He also provides a man in Shechem. So that the timing of this is right on God's schedule, right? Joseph sews up, he gets thrown in a pit, and a couple hours later, the Midianites come by. And the reason that timing happens is because Joseph's out wandering in a field, like, I don't know where my brother's all, and God just provides a man out in the middle of a field, too, being like, oh yeah, I think they're, they're over here. You know what I mean? God's providence is often so subtle, and it's all in somewhat behind the scenes. Like, you would not have thought, oh, this random guy that I ran into is all about God's timing and making something happen. He also makes sure that Reuben is gone so that Judah's plan prevails. He, he has a greater plan just than uniting the family. He's going to s- deliver them from a famine he knows is coming. And so he is sending Joseph down there for a purpose. He's not dismayed by the hatred and jealousy that's prevalent in this family. He's not put off and like, oh, well, my plan's falling apart. I was trying to get this family united, and now they're, they're all falling apart. He has a plan, and he's continuing to work that plan. And the final detail, although we won't see it really until the next chapter, is he has Joseph sold to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. And that sums up Joseph's story in Egypt. But all of these are a part of God's story in the midst of our story. Working out details, working out timing, doing, doing a, working a bigger plan than the plan that we have for ourselves. And that's a huge part of recognizing how God's story and our story intersect. It's because God is doing something bigger and, and, and greater than, than all the things that we're focused on. Like, I've got to get this job, I've got to get this career, I've got to have this family, I've got, to, I've got to have love and peace and joy in my life. And all of those he's interested in as well. But he's also interested in rescuing people from death, delivering them from sin. And he's, he's working this plan out, and he's moving in the midst of human history, in the midst of this hatred and jealousy. And of course, we're tempted to question God's providential plan, right? Especially in suffering, because suffering is often when we can't see God's hand, right? Literally, if you just read this story, you'd be like, where's God? <laughs> And oftentimes in our own lives, we're like, where's God? Where's God in this class? I thought he was going to help me get this class, and now it's falling apart. Where's God, where's God with this job? I thought I, thought I had this, this plan, and I knew it had, but my boss hates me. Where's God in this? Where's God in my family? I thought we were going to be united, and we were going to have joy and peace, and now it doesn't seem to be there. What's going on? And I love a phrase from a song that I'm reminded of often, when you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. Because in this story, you cannot see God's hand. But you can trust his heart. He has not given up. He has made promises that he is going to keep. God in his mercy is not content to leave us in our hatred and jealousy and shame. He is working a story of redemption. And ultimately, that story tells an even better story of redemption as we sing Christ the true and better Adam this morning, but also in a sense, God, Christ the true and better Joseph. In contrast to Joseph, who's more interested in right now in his position than his blessing his brothers, and Judah, who's more interested in profit 
we have a brother who looked out for our need. He left his position of power and comfort and entered into our shame. We sang about it this morning. His robes for mine, a wonderful exchange. He lost his robes on the cross so we could receive his robes of righteousness. He received a crown of thorns so we could have a crown of glory. He was hidden and forsaken by his father so that we could be welcomed home and we could be brothers with him forever. We could not see this on our own. You cannot see this on your own. You cannot look at this world and think, oh, God has this plan where he's going to make us all a part of his family and, and we're all going to be glorified and, and rejoicing together. And you, you can't see that from this world. All you see in this world is war and shame and hatred and jealousy. But God is still at work. And God sent his son. In fact, it was predicted that we wouldn't recognize him, right? Isaiah 53 says we despised him and rejected him because we saw him like, uh, who's he? But he clothes us in his righteousness and even gives us armor to stand against our enemies. He, he takes us from that place of, of shame and he takes us back to the place of being unashamed, to be able to stand in his grace, to walk in his, in his ways, to know his love for us. He gives us permanent access to the Father so that we can cry at any time, Abba, Father, this is the brother we have. He looked at our need and said, I'm not going to ignore my brother's need. I'm going to enter into my brother's need and even die for my brother's need. As opposed to Judah who would say, let's just profit from our brother's need. Which begs the question just here briefly on a side. Is our, are you in that family? Is Christ your brother? Do, do you know that he has welcomed you into his family? Because this is the family that God wants to welcome you into, where brothers look out for one another, and they even die for one another to rescue each other and to bless one another, because our great brother, our oldest brother, did that for us. And, and the only way that we can be a part of that family is not based on our race, and it's not even based on, you know, how much we give to the church or, or what kind of lives we live. It's based on just simply asking our brother to rescue us. Romans ten thirteen says it most clearly, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call to Jesus, he will save you because he is your elder brother. He is the perfect elder brother. So three, three application points that I'd like to share briefly with you. The first one is we want to listen to each other's sharing of each other, right, with love and care. Do you listen to each other's stories? I, because here's the temptation we all have, right? We all have the temptation to be like someone starts sharing a little bit about themselves and we want to we want to one-up them, or we want to just, we, we don't want to listen well and listen with care and concern. We just want to tell our own story or, or, or one-up them with a story that we can share. But are we not part of the family of God? Should we not, like our big brother, listen to our story and respond well? You think of even 
Jesus in John 4 at the woman at the well. He, he stopped what he was doing because he said, I have food to eat that you know not know of to his disciples. And he sat and he listened to this woman's story. This woman who was rejected, despised, ostracized in Samaria, and encouraged her back to a true worship of God. Can we not do the same? Can we not listen to one of the stories well? Which, again, from a practical standpoint, do you take time to just spend time talking to your friends, listening to their stories? Or are you so busy, so caught up in being productive that you don't just stop and listen and listen well? Whether it's to your spouse or to your children, to fellow believers or even to unbelievers, you'd stop and, and, and listen to them and just listen to their story and not try to one-up them, but try to understand who they are and where they're coming from and, and how their story works. Because I can guarantee you, point number two is shame weaves through all of our stories, just like this story. It's, it's, it started in Genesis 3. It's, it's continued all the way up here to Genesis 37. And frankly, it continues all the way up to today. We all hide from each other. We're all seeking status, you know. Joseph's like, hey, I've got these robes. I'm good. And sometimes we say, yeah, look, look at me. I got this new suit. I'm good. Or I've got this new position. I'm good. Or we, we, we think about the robes that, that we want to wear and we, and we pursue those things, but ultimately they're not things of God and they just, they're, they're just sources of hatred and jealousy and division. And that destroys our trust in God and our love for others. And we, we must confess this. We must understand that this is the challenge that we have. We will see one another's robes, and rather than rejoicing, we will seek to rip them off. Ah, <laughs> she should be red carded. You know. <laughs> rather than looking and being like, oh, what's part of her story? What's going on? Where's God's grace in her life? You know, there's a, there's a, there's a term out there right now that's talking about suffering and, and, and trying to make this work, and it's, it's called intersectionality. It's the idea that, that, that how, many, how much suffering you go through, in a sense, gives you more status and more honor. Joseph has, in some ways, the most, most status the most honor in the story, and yet he doesn't. There's no substitute ultimately for peace without the prince of peace. There's no substitute for brotherhood without the elder brother who's willing to give up his honor to help those in need. We, it, if, if, you, if it all comes down to another form of competition, a competition over who suffered more, then we're still back to the same problem. A story of shame and competition, hatred, and division. And yet at the same time, when you say shame weaves through our stories, and you can think of other stories, you've read probably multiple stories, human stories of human trafficking. And one of the common things in human trafficking is the story of they deserve to be in that position. That's the only hope they have. And in this sense, confession in this case doesn't look like a confession of guilt. We're not saying, okay, hey, it's your fault you're in this position, just confess it. It's not what we're saying. 
It's a confession of the other side of the story that just like Joseph said, you meant it to me for evil, but God meant it to me for good. To, to look beyond the shame of our, of our current situation and see that God is actually at work in the midst of our stories. Look, I don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to be where you're at. Everything that we receive is of God's grace. The good things that we have, the good things that we receive are of his grace. And yes, people mean things for evil to us, but God means to do good in the midst of our stories. He means to do good and bring us ultimately to himself. And the best way that we can confess the shame is to go back and look at point number three, delighting in God's story and how he rescues us and adopts us into his family. Because this, is, this little story here showing off the division in the story is, is God's point of saying, look, I'm going to restore this. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to make this better. Ultimately with Jesus. Which brings us back. Which story do you see in your life? Do you see the cruelties, the injustices, the hardships you've faced? Or do you see God's hand, his comfort, his care, extended ultimately to you through Jesus Christ? Just more about my story. In my family, my mother's side, my great-grandfather was a bootlegger. And not the noble kind you see on TV, you know. We're up against the government. He was just in it for himself. And yet, God used an orphanage, a war, and even the Peace Corps to get my mom to Africa to really hear the gospel for the first time. God is working behind the scenes. In my wife's family, God used a lightning strike. My, my, her grandfather was, who was, he was popular, he was self-sufficient, he, he was in Duluth, he was in the JCs, he was on the city council of Duluth, he, he was one of those guys where he, he actually took a bear from Duluth, a live bear, down to the Vikings game to, you know, pump up the Vikings somehow, I don't know, they must have been playing the bears, you know, I don't know. He wasn't interested in God at all. And then a lightning strike with his son climbing the tree. Basically killed his son. His son fell out of the tree because of the lightning strike. And when he hit the ground, that strike, that impact started his heart again. And God changed him. This is, this is what God is doing in the midst of our stories, in the midst of our, our shame, in the midst of our problems and hardships and the cruelties that people do to us, God is at work. And God is at work in this story, in behind the scenes, in, in simple ways to start off with. And in a sense, we're all at the beginning of our story. This isn't just 50, 60, 70 years. This is a thousand, ten thousand, a million years. And we have to remember, he's sovereign over the twists and turns of our lives, and he is seeking to transform us and redeem us. This is the story we are living in, and we have a choice. We can either choose to believe that we're in this story, trusting God, walking with him, or we can choose to believe that we're just in the story of, of hardship and cruelty and suffering. 
And one of the best ways that we can keep focused and delight in God's story is to know his word, to be reading it, and especially to be reading prophecy as well. The thing that the brothers ignored was the thing that was actually going to help them out, these prophecies that Joseph had shared with them. And God has prophesied in his word so many things. There's over 300 prophecies that predict Christ's coming and his birth and even his death. You know, one of those was Zechariah 11, where it says, verse 12 says, Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me wages, but if not, keep them. This is Zechariah talking as a shepherd of God's people. And it says, And they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver, which in the law was the price of a slave. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. That's sarcasm. So I took the 30 pieces of silver, and threw it into the, into the house of the Lord, to the potter. <laughs> our brother, our elder brother, was sold for the price of a slave. He was betrayed for us. So that we could be welcomed back into God's family. And we need to remember that we have this treasure in jars of clay, just like the potter, <laughs> to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Our stories, if we look at all the negative side, it adds up. We can see the suffering. We can see the cruelty. We can see the, the shame. But we can also see that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, that he is at work, that he is completing his plan, that we can trust that plan, that we can, we can live in that plan, and we can see God work. When we can't trust his, see his hand, we can trust his heart. So this is where your story and God's story intersect. And we're going to go looking for God's story in the midst of Joseph's story over the next couple of weeks. The question for you is, will you seek to see God's hand? And when you can't see his hand, to trust his heart. Will you do that? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you love us that you have shown that love for us over and over and over again. That we know that we often feel like we want to hide. We often feel like, oh, I have, I have no status. No, no one recognizes me. No one knows me. And yet you know us. You love us. And you are ultimately working a plan out where you exalt us to be next to our older brother, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died for us and rose again. And Lord, you made him our brother so that you could unite us to yourself and we could rejoice in peace and love together and know the grace that you have promised to us. Lord, help us not to, to, not to ignore that. Help us not to, to miss your hand and, and yet recognizing that sometimes we won't be able to see your hand. But help us to trust your heart to know that you are with us, that your, your, your plan is, is at work, and we can trust in that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.